0: Tony Adams at Portsmouth, Frank De Boer at Palace and Inter, Gasparini at Inter. All of these people lasted longer than Paul is. Let's just hope the next PM can last longer than Bielsa did at Lazio. To be honest, we're not holding our breaths. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian Pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by Andy. Andy, all right, mate. How are we doing?
1: Yep, it's been good. I'm still in the job, on White like Liz. Um, <laughs> Always so, feels like good. as well, Always how are you getting on?
0: Good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, the news today did kind of cheer me up, depress me at the same time, in only the way the Tories can, really. Uh, they have a knack of uh, e- extracting both emotions from me at once. Um, but yeah, not bad. A little bit ill, as the listeners may be able to hear. Hopefully it gives my voice gravitas and not like a nasally... Quality only you guys will know. I'm gonna go for gravitas. I'm gonna say it gives me gravitas. Um, <laughs> but fingers crossed. Um, Andy, any stories this week that caught your eye in the footballing world?
1: Yes, so, um, big developments this week. Eddie Howe has found his voice Woo. and he has found some opinions. Um, so yeah, it's been a <laughs> it's a big, a week. Very, very, It's a big yeah, week. It's been a very big week for him, you know. He said that he needed, he hadn't really read up on a lot of stuff, and clearly he's done some reading. Uh, Probably not of the stuff we expected him to read, no. but he has. So, it's, it's, it's a progress. start. It's a start. So, what has happened? Well, um Klopp, um, who, to be fair, has been a little bit on the Aggie side in recent mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've, I've said before that a lot of Klopp's touchline behaviour, you know, has been a little bit OTT, mm-hmm. and he's To be fair, he comes across as an exceptionally sore loser most of the time. (laughs) Yes. You know, he got himself sent off even when they won against Manchester City over the weekend. Um, Yeah, I think Klopp sort of embodies that sort of us against them kind of mentality Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, You know, I suppose you used to see Fergie giving referees a hairdryer, um, I suppose, but Klopp has seen taken it up a little bit of a notch recently and he, to be fair he did it last season as well so you know what to be for to be on a sort of try to keep it on a, a neutral level yeah um i feel that how maybe does have a point but there, well, there prizes, was
0: a point to be made there there was definitely yeah, a point to absolutely be made a there. point to be made it's just him uh, making this particular point when he's refused yeah. to make points in the past is what sticks in the craw a little
1: bit, right? Like... Exactly, yeah. Because he said that he believes managers must set a better example when it comes to respecting officials. And yeah, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, no, um, you're right. You're right. You're not wrong. But the person saying this is Eddie Howe. Now, to be fair to him, he does... He sticks to his guns in the respect that I don't recall him really losing it on the touchline he's not that no. kind of he's not no, that no, kind no. of manager to be fair to him he is quite cool he is quite composed but then when you hear about him you know literally a week before going i don't have the opinion on any of this yeah. stuff i've not looked into this this is not my problem and now he suddenly decides to make something his problem mm-hmm. um you know i think it's gonna come across into a bit of uh, a tangent where he said that you know newcastle with um has spent in accordance with, the rest of the Premier League, uh, the two hundred forty million pounds net, yeah, uh, not which gross. Is more than anybody net. else yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. for a club that's not in the Champions League. I uh, mm-hmm. would say otherwise. Um, I think it's also worth remembering, you know, who his employers are yeah. and where that money comes from. Because if you think the likes of Bruno Guimaraes would be playing for Newcastle, <laughs> <or> <laughs> yeah. a Mike, Ashley you in the shit? <laughs> yeah. You are off your tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well,
0: and yeah, I, I think this. is, I think. I was so disappointed in the first place when Eddie refused to even say anything about the owners and even you don't have to come out and like cuss out your boss. I get no. it, but you can at least address that there's an issue or you can at least acknowledge that there are reasons why people would be angry that your owners are in the league or reasons why, you know, you can say look, these these events are terrible. Um I personally am against this whatever. You don't have to come out and say yeah, they're shitbags, but you can do more than he did. And I think what it what it seems to me is that he's taken the first chance to have a go at another manager, the first opportunity he's taken, and he's been like, bang, right back at someone when he really is in the glassest house I've ever known. <laughs> like it is, I I'm just really disappointed in him. I thought he was a kind of better man than this. Um look, there are plenty of people who work for companies that maybe you don't agree with their practices. I'm not like having a go about that. I just think when you're in a public position, you should be doing more than he is doing. And the the, the comments that Klopp originally made were absolutely spot on. Like, the, the likes of Arsenal, United, Liverpool, if they are operating properly, we even at our peak, we can't compete with City and Newcastle now on spending. We just cannot do it. Um, and that was the only point that Klopp was making he didn't even get into the human rights ethic part of it he just said look we can't keep up with it financially we know that he he kind of meant the ethics of it as well because we know what type of person he is but I think what he said was completely spot on and Freddie Howe just jumped down his throat with the first opportunity and take issue with yeah shouting at linesman is a bad thing but it's not as bad as 82 executions in a day let's say yeah
1: yeah, exactly. And the thing is, that whenever you try to engage with Newcastle and Manchester City fans over it, they've become masters of deflection. You yeah. know, Manchester City, unfortunately, have always got the thing to go, well, we we're cleared by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So <laughs> therefore... Fucking well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, they're probably yeah, innocent. Yeah. Um, Whoa, what a know, result. And like I said, everyone knows that they fake their sponsorship deals. There's still investigations about these random gambling sponsors, which are done by shell companies here and there. It's just unfortunately,
0: you You should Google um, Google the property deals they have with Manchester Council when they bought Man City. It is grubby as yeah, it is so dark, so so dark. Like the the con they've done in on Manchester property is insane. Exactly. So they,
1: yeah. It, like I said, it. Manchester City are basically sports washing that's worked. Mm -hmm. And you see the results about 12 years later. Like, to be fair, you know, they've got the best football team in the country. They've got the best manager, pretty much. So, they're doing it well. (laughs) Yeah. They're doing it well. (laughs) They're doing it better than, out of, you know, how to run a sports washing operation, they've done it much, much better than PSG have. Yeah. So, (laughs) if we're talking standards, they've uh, done a a good job on there. Um, But, you know, I think. a quite outspoken critic of his kind of class Philippe O'Claire who yeah. I respect an awful lot as a journalist because yeah, yeah. he pokes he pokes in holes where people mm-hmm. don't want to be poked definitely, uh, he's definitely. very fucking good at it um, I think if we ever get him on the show in fact we can't have him on the show because we can't afford lawyers <laughs> no no yeah yeah I'm not saying he's <laughs> legal he's no way so, yeah yeah no we, way <laughs> we need a few PayPal donations for that but you know <laughs> yeah. he makes a few points that you know Eddie Howe is the last person to be talking yeah. about moral standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um everyone knows what you know the Saudi Arabian regime is doing and mm-hmm. again Newcastle fans come up with that. oh Mohammed bin Salman, this legally binding combat um sees and sees that he's oh, yeah. not in active control of the club and you know what to be fair he probably isn't that is that is probably fact he isn't in control of a day-to-day running of the club <laughs> um you know. but if Mohammed Bin Salman woke up tomorrow morning and went right we're pulling the money out we're not we're cancelling the investment yeah. we're going to put our money somebody else you are not telling me that Newcastle would fold overnight. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. he if he turns off a money tap, because uh, let's be honest, the Saudi, you know, the public investment fund, he is the chairman of it. So at the end yeah. of the day, he if he turns round, even if he's not in charge of Newcastle and goes
0: money off, then. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, you know, like Darth Vader doesn't oversee the day-to-day running of the Death Star, but (laughs) if he decides, if he says something, it fucking happens, right? And I feel like it's that very much kind of deal. But, yeah, I think especially coming from a guy like Klopp, now people can have their issues with Klopp and how aggy and pissy he gets, and he can be quite irritating, a lot of excuses, but... I think, as a man, I fucking love Klopp. I agree with him on most things that he says when he comes out politically and with his values. I think he's pretty much nailed. He's, well, on he's, a, every soci- time.
1: he's a socialist at
0: heart, isn't yeah. he? And, and you know, so he- I think he's someone that I personally would see as in the moral right most of the time. Right? He lost his head with that linesman. Everybody loses their heads, but I think. To go at Klopp, who is one of the few people in in top tier football who has stood up for these things, who has voiced opinions, and who has been, for most people, on the right side of issues, is pretty fucking brave, Freddy. How to have a go considering who his employers are? Yeah, but we're going to leave it there, starting on a high note, and we're going to go to the Euro review and talk actual football for a bit. And then there'll be a little bit more depression, but stick with us guys. It'll be fun. Anyway. I promise. My name is David Artel and you're listening to the Anglo Italian pod. And here we are. We are in the Euro review blimp and we are ready to review some premier league action. And we can only start with Spurs sustainable football. How did that go Andy for United an incredible performance for United. Um, is that sustainable from Spurs? Well, no.
1: <laughs> that was very sustainable on Thursday night. But no, if I'm being completely honest, um, I I was a bit I was quite worried going into the mm. game against Spurs. We you know, we'd had a quite a dodgy first half against Newcastle, where if it wasn't for some dodgy finishing by Joe Linton, um, we could have, you know, that result could have potentially gone a lot worse if it did. Um, so yeah, I think um in terms of the lineup as well obviously there's been a few there's a few injury issues at the moment Marcus Rashford had a bit of mm. illness Marshall is just injured yet again um so you know Ronaldo had started the previous game and um come off before uh full time which he wasn't overly happy about It's gonna be a recurring Shock. theme here uh, <laughs> so yeah and um obviously Fred had kept his place in the squad uh which if a to be honest, I was really surprised about mm. because his performance against Newcastle honestly was absolutely shocking. Yeah, um, you know, I've said be- i said in the last one that he does worry in terms of getting into the right positions, but he generally speaking lacks any sort of quality. I feel like um, he just
0: has lapses of concentration. He, he just does has massive
1: yeah. lapses. Yeah, composure is not his strong point, but um, to be fair, he stepped up. That mm-hmm. he really really did uh, I think the, I think there was a bit of a slight adjustment in terms of how he was being asked to play compared to against yeah. Newcastle against Newcastle he was pushing forward at every opportunity whereas I think this time maybe it's a coaching thing or whichever, yeah. but I think he was told to sit back a little bit more and um, rather than be the guy at the end of the passing moves, try and get them started off yeah, and yeah, yeah. recycle possession a lot quicker. Because off the ball, he's quite energetic, he's quite good at closing down. So there is assets to his game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of uh, performance from start to finish, that you know, although the results against Arsenal and Liverpool were more headline yeah. in terms of the outcome, the, but it's a, when you look at the performance alone, that Mm. was
0: hands down, Eric Ten Hag ball. Like, yeah, I think that's the best. I think that's the best we've seen United in a very long time. And I was watching it. I I was really impressed with Bruno, not just with the goal, but I thought it was kind of the Bruno we saw during lockdown, which I think is peak Bruno at United (laughs) was during lockdown. And I think this is, he was starting to get to that again. I think if Ten Hag can like, Kind of make him the center of attention again, that could be really good for United. Because I think Ronaldo being there definitely took some focus away from him, definitely got into his head a bit. I think if you can get Fernandez as the center again, that guy is an unbelievable player. It was a great goal. I thought the amount of like running and pressing and idea that I saw behind United, if you think that Brentford was only a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, it's an incredible turnaround. Like that is a quick fast turnaround i was like this is the that's the best i've seen united in a very long time spurs definitely made it easier for you because they did the square root of fuck all but yeah it's um, i thought united were outstanding i thought united were outstanding
1: yeah i think i think the main difference now compared to when you know we were talking against brentford i think ted hogg more or less knows his best 11 now yeah yeah. It, it picks itself up um you know I think maybe next summer. I think he might look for a central striker mm-hmm. and maybe for some yeah. bit more quality in the centre midfield. But you know, the aside, I think that was his first line yeah. um, play. I think um, one thing that is helping is is uh, Casemiro getting up to speed finally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, because obviously it took him a little while to get involved, and I think a few people a little bit. Yeah, i was probably the same. have we really raised another 60 million pounds of somebody not going to play any football I, yeah uh, i
0: feel i feel like he's also capable of lapses of concentration i feel like he's obviously a world-class footballer one of the best like dms that there's been in the last 10 years in world football but i still feel like between him and fred both of them are capable of losing their mind at the same time and i think there needs to be, like, maybe just as he gets into the league a bit more, Casemiro will become more settled and become better. But I still feel like he has slight lapses or he tries to overplay a little bit. But this was a great performance from him, don't get me wrong. But I thought there were moments when I was like, oh, what's he doing? I
1: think that's the Premier League, though. I think it's probably ta- it's probably taken a little bit of time to get used to the pace mm-hmm. of it. Um, But no, I think, you know, with Son and Kane, that is a high quality Yeah fun yeah. pairing they've got i mean they scored and assisted for each other countless
0: times mm-hmm. um yeah. kane barely had a touch um i, I game, actually I, think... I actually dirtied myself and bought him into my fantasy this week <laughs> I, I did the free hit I've, and i was I've... like i'm gonna have to go for kane and then he yeah. drops that i was like well oh, i balls I up you. because
1: i had kane and i've got kane son in my team Right. Uh, and I forgot to change my fantasy football on time, so yay me. But oh. yeah, I'm more I'm happier that United won than my fantasy scores. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just yeah. No, I just no, haven't I'll looked it, it I'll this week. It. So. Yeah. But no, I think, uh, you know, Kane was a little bit involved at the start. I mean, I think his his passing range, to be fair to him, is absolutely exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key to that was cutting off that supply. Um, I think Rafael Varane and Martinez are not exaggerating is the best... Central defensive partnership we've had since Fidic and Fer- Fidic and Ferdinand. Yeah, it uh, and it's still it it's still yeah. early days. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably says a lot for the standard of centre backs that are rocking about before. But as a partnership, mm-hmm. uh, they
0: it just works. And there uh, has to be a lot said for Dallo. Yeah, <laughs> Dallo is playing so well at the minute, and I think he's a player that I think I said in the past, like. I've heard United fans like pulling their hair out, and whenever I watch them, I'm like, he seems all right. And I think he's having a great season now, and yeah. Luke Shaw has been scared into performances now. I think he's generally like, oh I could yeah, be, I could be replaced that's if what, I don't that's wake what, up. That's like...
1: what, but that's what competition does, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think because with Dada, I think. Got a soldier, I just didn't have any time for him whatsoever. No, no, no. um, Wan-Bissaka was was this guy, and I forgot or... he existed, I forgot, yeah, I know. rightly right. or wrongly, he stuck yeah. to that rigidly, yeah, yeah. um, you know, regardless of performance level. Whereas he's not even, you know, um, uh, he's just not, I think he's injured to be fair, but he's yeah, just, yeah. He, he's just not a fixture anymore. And I think even when likes of you know, he comes back from injury and Maguire, like, I don't see any place yeah. for
0: um. There'll so, be a fire sale at United soon, I think. Yeah. In January I mean, there could be quite a don't few. Don't get me wrong.
1: Varane's injury prone. Yeah. So you know, he'll have to have games where he's rested. So there will be game time for like Lindelof and Maguire, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But I think in terms of big games, that will be the that'll be the back four that he wants. I mean, even De Gea, to be fair to him, yeah. he's improved a bit more in terms of getting the ball out to feet. His distribution still isn't fantastic and I still panic every time he holds onto the ball for more than three seconds at a time. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I just keep thinking thinking he's just going to kick it at somebody. But yeah, overall, I think to a man, I think everybody was decent. I think Anthony adds a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone keeps going on about him being one footed, a bigger one trip pony, as if I and Robin didn't
0: exist. I was just about to say, Oh, you and Robin made a pretty good career out of Are it. they so I everyone worry knew, about
1: everyone it. knew what Robin was going to do? Every single yeah. one, and yet he did that exact same thing for Real Madrid and Bayern Munich for many, many years, yeah. and countless, countless defenders. Still could not do anything about it despite the knowing what they were doing. He did do. it against
0: Arsenal every single time. Every exactly. single
1: time. And uh, yeah, he was unlucky to hit the post. And I think if it wasn't for such bad finishing from Rashford, uh, mm. I, love, I love I love the bloke, I love him as a person. Uh, but his best of always is coming in from the left. I think he's not clinical mm. enough yeah. to be a central striker because I strongly believe we're a clinical striker away from winning that game four or five nil. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But unfortunately... Well, in the yeah. first
0: half, you had 20 shots. Yeah. I mean, Luis like, was pulling put out some uh, cracking saves, so... He almost gave one away as well. I did see that. Where there was, was it one that went through him? But I yeah. think we need to also talk about Spurs. I'm not going to go in too hard on them, but they've now lost to United, Arsenal, Liverpool. Every big team that they've faced, they've lost, and pretty convincingly, um, and the games they've played
1: have all been teams at the bottom. but they've won yeah. against have been teams at the bottom half. Exactly. And I
0: think, now I heard a theory on Twitter today where I was like, this is bloody out there. Ooh, that, I love that Conte play, right? the is, is treating the season as two, right? So he's saying, right, just get through the first bit. We'll be physically fit in the second bit when we can then storm the league, right? I think that's wishful thinking from optimistic Spurs fans. But is this now Conte's a manager that was linked with Arsenal, was linked with United? Do you think the style of football is one sustainable for any type of title challenge? And is it worth the one nil panicked wins against bottom bottom team sides? I think Spurs really look poor every time I see them. It feels like Meridio ball
1: um, is. You could put up with it if you're winning. Yeah. And, you know, I think Conte is the same sort of way. I think, obviously, when he was at Inter, he had the luxury of a peak Lukaku Mm -hmm. and Martinez and And Barella. Barella. You know, I think he had a higher calibre of players to call upon at that particular time. Um, But his, you know, he's always... a. A defense first, kind of coach, yeah. and a good counter punch. And Spurs are set up to do that, you know. In Kane, with Kane and Son, uh, with Perisic coming from the side, I think they've got some of the best counter punchers mm-hmm. um, going. And I think they were missing a few personnel. Uh, I think you know, Matt Doherty at um, at right
0: wing back, he's I okay. I think he was one of weirdly one of their better performers on the one night, of the better though. players. But I not. feel like he actually did quite well. I think. You're right. The squad isn't as good as the Inter squad, definitely not. But Conte's contract runs out this summer. Okay. Like he he does it now, or he doesn't do it. There's no way he's renewing at Spurs, right? No. So if you're a, if you're a Spurs fan now, are you happy watching this the entire season, knowing that the chances are? You could challenge for the title, but probably not. You've got United resurgent. You've got Arsenal looking good. You've got City looking unbeatable. You've got Liverpool waking up. You've got Chelsea looking better under Potter. Like, it looks like Tottenham could get left behind. And then you know your manager probably isn't going to renew in the summer. It must just make it even more galling, like having yeah. to watch that.
1: They've Plus, conceded think-
0: 50 shots against United and Arsenal alone.
1: Yeah. And I think the issue as well is that, in order for for Spurs to be able to put in a challenge for the title, Daniel Levy is going to have to put his hands in his pockets yeah. next summer. Um, and I don't. I don't think. What Spurs are willing need to do, and what Conte wants are the same thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's lasted a few months longer than I expected. I, um, I didn't think he'd get to the season. Honestly, I didn't think he'd get to the season. I thought he'd just walk away. And yeah. you're right. If 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 Levy, if Levy, sorry, doesn't put his hand in his pockets, then Conte's definitely off. There's already Juventus, um, Real Madrid, and uh, who's the other team? PSG making eyes at Conte, I think, are the ones who've been linked to him. I think for Spurs this season could get like quite depressing. Like I know they're still they've only lost one game, right? it's their first loss of the season. They're still doing pretty well. I think but... they'll still
1: I think they'll still be all right, because let's be honest, like Caden and Son alone will bail yeah. them out for a good 20-30 goals between them. Mm. Um, you know, they have got a more you know, probably the one, the best combination up front what is up there in the league, certainly as a pairing. Um, So I think they'll be okay. But I think the reality is, is at the end of the season, there's, if you include Newcastle, which I think you have to based on current form, there's seven teams fighting it out for four positions. Or I'll rephrase that. You've got Manchester City and then six teams playing (laughs) for the other three positions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, Yeah. You know, they all genuinely feel that they have a really good chance of being top four. And when it comes to the end of the season, Three of those teams won't be there, um, mm. and if Spurs are one of those teams that aren't there, they'll sack the manager. Um, you know, I think out of those top seven teams, which ones do you think you could get? Which manager out of those do you think would get away with still being there the following season if they missed out on top four? Alteta again.
0: Yeah, I genuinely think the club would be with him 100%. I honestly think he would If missed
1: out for, like, what, a fourth season in a row?
0: Yeah, I think he'd survive it. I think there'd be a lot of pressure considering how well we've started this season, but I think he'd survive it. Yeah, I think Ted would Because we're ahead probably... of where the club expect us to be. We're yeah. ahead of schedule. We're definitely ahead of schedule. No further. Yeah, I think... But well, Ted... you're right. Not many of them would survive at all. Yeah, um, I think Ted Haig would probably get a bye. Yeah. Um, but, yeah... Maybe that says a lot about Arsenal and United. I'm not sure, but before before we move on from this game, we're going to have to talk about it, Andy. I apologize, but Ronaldo's broken the record for the most dummies spat out. And he spat <laughs> out his 700th dummy this week. Uh, this week, last night, as he left early once the final substitutions were made, I'm literally going to do two minutes on this. Andy, go before I rant about him. Oh, fair enough. I'll give you a few ranting
1: seconds. but yeah, nonetheless. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> um, I think, I think it's such a shame because United put in the best performance of the season by an yeah. absolute country mile. everyone's buzzing, everyone's happy. Uh, we're controlling the game, seeing it out, and he decides to make a very, very public show of leaving, you know, leaving the uh, ground early. We uh, didn't even—he didn't just walk off a pitch; he left the stadium. By the time uh, the game ended, which is, fuck me, that's some quick turnaround. that in the space of a couple of minutes. Um, And, you know, that kind of puts off. I mean, he was unhappy about not being brought on against Manchester City. He was unhappy about being taken off against Newcastle at the weekend. It's a recurring theme. And um, there's been quite a lot of stuff that's now come out since. So Mm -hmm. the, you know, as of probably an hour or so ago, um, the Athletic. Journalists have reported that um, he's going to be not not involved in the Chelsea mm-hmm. uh, against the Chelsea game. Like he's up squad, he's training on his own for the moment. There'll probably be a fine there, um, and I think this feels like a tipping point because Ronaldo, because of his status, what he did his first spell for United, the status he has as a footballer, I think many Manchester United fans have sort of overlooked the very mm-hmm. very obvious red flags that come with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, And I think last night was a bit of a tipping point because there was no need for it. There was no justification for it. He's just made it all about himself. And I think um, it's obviously a big power play. Um, Apparently, his relationship with Eric ten Hag and some of his staff isn't particularly good. Uh, But I think for the first time in Ronaldo's career, he can't handle the fact that he's not the one with the power. Because you remember yeah. at Real Madrid, well, he yeah. saw Rafael Benitez pretty yeah. swiftly after making his happiness known. Lino Messi was another one who, if he wanted a manager gone, he had the power to yeah. make it happen. And I think now what's happened is that there's been a, there's obviously been a bit of a power play, and he's come off at the wrong end of it. Um, and he's I think this is well. this
0: is a really sad end to an incredible career, right? This is like he's been a player like, and I was I was thinking a lot about Ronaldo this week especially after last night. And I was like, he's had an unbelievable incredible career. He's won everything, right? Arguably the best footballer of all time. He's not a player that I'm ever going to go back and watch his highlights, right? I don't think he's a player that particularly like plays for the love of the game or for the joy of the game. He doesn't inspire me with love. And like, if you know what I mean, there's no part of his game where I'm like, oh, I enjoy watching him play. He's just efficient and fucking scores goals, right? And I think, what we're seeing now is someone whose efficiency has completely disappeared. He has no leverage left. He, in his mind, he thought this would be a glorious return where he lifts the Premier League with his, with his, like, the club he loves. It's not worked out, partly because he's not wanted to graft. He's not wanted to listen. He's not bought into the team spirit. I just think it's a really horrible end to a career that is, like, magnificent. But it's just a really horrible, horrible end. And he's brought it on himself. He's gonna end up on loan at PSG. It'll be fucking horrible there as well. Because nobody will want him there either. And it'll just peter out this career that's been like unbelievable. I think, Ronaldo, what are you doing? Like you're gonna look back in 20 years and be like, why did I act like that at the club that I like I purported, I told everybody that I loved. Like, why are you acting like that? Now, I know like, ego is like a powerful thing, but you're going to regret it so much in twenty years because it's con- yeah. it must be ruining his legacy at
1: United. And I think what you, I think the reaction I've seen, not you know, for people online, people who have no affinity for the game, I think that was a turning point um, yeah. because he he threw a paddy for most of last season, but yeah, yeah, that was yeah. kind of like, well, to be fair he's a shit show. The <laughs> yeah, manager is We shit. are pretty shit. We <laughs> <Like, yeah, laughs> so yeah, yeah. argue yeah. with it, but I think he is standing in the way of what Eric Ten Hag mm. wants to achieve. And also, he's got to take some responsibility himself. It was very open. You know, he wanted to leave during the summer. He, yeah. sat, out, he sat out the pre-season tour due to a family issue. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. we can speculate all we want about how believable that is. Yeah. Um, right. You know, he made it very, very clear he wanted to leave. But funny thing is that the one thing he could do which to guarantee his leave, he could go either a reduce his wage demands. So I'm pretty sure if he turned around and went, you know what, York, sort us out, get somebody to sort me yeah. out for hundred grand a week, I reckon there would be some takers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but he's 500 grand a week is not happening. It's not it's happening. Not and the other thing happening. he could the other thing he could do is go, Well, if Manchester United aren't gonna let me go, maybe I should just rescind my contracts and then I'm free to go and find another
0: club. But funnily enough, you don't want to do that either. No, Um, well, the the, the art of what Arsenal did was they managed to convince Aubameyang to do that. They were like, look, we'll pay some of it, but you need to fuck off. Yeah, and I think... Like, this is what United are at now. They're at that fucking the How much can we pay you to leave?
1: And right. I think that, that conversation should be happening because they yeah, did it yeah. with Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was a huge climb down and a huge embarrassment. I think mean, yeah. the whole Sanchez thing was just embarrassment. But I think, you know what? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah, Some, yeah. Someone just needs to sit down and go, look, this last year isn't working out. Yeah. How much have we got to pay you to fuck off? Because we're going to be paid into the end of the season anyway, if he stays. It's going to be think, $8
0: million that I yeah, would, would I, be the I, ultimate I payoff. I genuinely so. think,
1: with the knowledge that you're going to have to pay something, yeah. I think it'd be better for the team morale if he's just not in the building.
0: Yeah. Just Let give him, him four and tell him to leave. Give him you know, four. To be honest, tell if, I, if I was a club owner, I'd give him the
1: fucking lot and still tell him to leave. I'd rather yeah, just yeah. give someone the money, get, get the bad egg out of the dressing room, and just be done with it. All right, you've taken the financial hit,
0: but ultimately that... in the short that short term hit for long term, yeah. Gain, I is think. Definitely... For the, I
1: think for the dressing room, yeah. I think uh, he needs to go. Well, and, yeah. on that
0: note, we're gonna just go Ronaldo. Go. We are no longer talking about you. You're not wanted here anymore. Off you trot. Elsewhere in the Premier League, we were looking through the fixtures. There was a lot of one nils, a lot of nil nils. Not yeah, much yeah, goal action, action isn't it? But one of the games that did catch our eye and a team that we've wanted to talk about for a while, and it is Crystal Palace 2, Wolves 1, Patrick Vieira at Palace. Now, when Wolves went 1-0 up, um, I did think, oh, Palace are in trouble here. They weren't playing well. I've had kind of doubts about Vieira's in-game management in the past. I've talked to a few Palace fans who have said he's not really able to affect games. Sometimes his substitutions are a bit baffling. Like the game, the previous game against Leeds was it? Um, he took off Zaha and Edward when they needed a goal. Everyone's like, Pat, what are you doing? So I did kind of think they were in trouble, but. Zaha and Eze score, and the Eagles come back to claim a 2-1 win against, admittedly, a very poor and in-trouble Wolves team. But three points for three points. What we wanted to talk about is, is this a big season for Vieira, Andy? I think last year he finished in basically the same position as uh, Roy Hodgson did with Palace. We know it was a season of transition. But do you think Vieira could be at risk if results take a nosedive?
1: I don't think so, to be honest. Like, I think the Palace board are quite a patient bunch. Um, you have to admit they're the ones making the decisions. They stuck with Roy through a good few years of really shit results and the knowledge that there was usually three worst teams and they've yeah. got Zaha yeah, yeah, yeah. and other teams don't. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, that is important. As, so, yeah, they as, have as, Zaha. Yeah. And um, so I think Zaha's particularly, I just want to make a side note on him, like, Past couple of seasons, he's really putting up some numbers yeah, yeah, yeah. for Palace now. Like last season he got 14-33, which is his best return. He's already got five in nine yeah, this yeah. season. Like it's been a hell of a season, man. Yeah. And hell I think with um the one thing that Vieira has done well is that he's got players in that could support Zaha hmm. um we've got Eze who let's be let's remember he was injured. I love him. I love was, him so much. He was injured for a good portion of last season yeah. which you know wasn't his fault but I think had he been at uh the Palace for the whole season kept fit and healthy I think Palace would have done a lot lot better. I uh they've got fair. a yeah, yeah. You know, I think they've got the makings of a very promising squad. You know, Elise, Eze, Zaha—that is Mark Guehi. That guy's Gwehi. unbelievable. He's, yeah. you know, he's had England caps now. Um You know that they've actually got a
0: very, very good squad. And I think um, what the, the wider point I'm, I'm trying to make maybe is that is because he's also completely changed the, the style of football Palace yeah. play. And I think. Because a, a mate of mine, friend of the show, Tom, messaged and we were kind of joking. He was like, oh, Patrick Vieira's not doing that well. Steven Gerrard's getting cussed out and Patrick Vieira's arguably doing the same job as him. And now, I, I, I disagreed strongly because I think Vieira's actually implemented a style and brought in an idea and an identity to a club, whereas Gerrard definitely hasn't. But,
1: Aston Villa have spent a lot more money to a lot team square than than Palace, Palace, of course. That's true. Uh, but I,
0: I think, is is the change in style... Is that enough if they get if they maintain the same positions as Roy got but they play entertaining football? I think that's kind of you're in a better position then, right? You're kind of happy with that. From an outside point of view, I would say so and also if
1: you look at kind of you know where Palace are in terms of transfer spend and what they spend yeah. on players and all that kind of stuff, it's it's difficult to see, you know. What teams they should realistically be taken over, if that makes sense, yeah. Uh, because you look, you know, you look at the table this season, you've got the likes of you know Brighton, Liverpool, Newcastle, you know, the usual top six. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, well, we're not going to take many overtake many of those, like they're intentless at the moment. And if there's no argument fin- for them not
0: overtaking Brighton, yeah,
1: yeah. So I think that's the area they could be aiming for. Yeah. I think maybe that's where they're looking at Brighton and going, well, this is where we should be as a club. Yeah. So yeah. maybe fair enough. But I think if they were to finish in the season, like top 10, you know, maybe top eight, even, I think that's where Palace are. They've got the evolution style. I think, um, with Vieira, I think they are right. He, he does make some strange in-game decisions. He does make some odd decisions, but certainly when he's obviously on the trading pitch, he's obviously yeah. got he's obviously got his methods across to the yeah. players. That and are there. I
0: think I think he's actually getting through to Zaha, Now, Zaha's had a kind of I know Palace fans absolutely love him because he's like one of the greatest players of all time, obviously. But I think he's definitely someone who's ha- who has l- like attitude problems and lack of interest and kind of comes in and out of seasons and it feels like Vieira is really getting through to him and now there is it kind of his Zaha's contract runs out in this summer or next yeah. year I think they're pretty desperate to get him da- tied down to a contract and there's rumors now that he is happy to stay as long as Vieira is there so I think Vieira yeah yeah I think with a Vieira good the, I think
1: there. with Vieira like um because I think with Zaha he was better. He was head and shoulders above every other player at Palace, yeah, yeah, and he has yeah, been for years. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. carried that burden on his own. So yeah, I think yeah. it's not a surprise. Every summer, he's he's looking at another season under Roy Hodgson, yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. "I don't, I don't <laughs> want, yeah, I don't yeah. want another fucking season of this." And you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah so on reflection, like you know what, I could I'm actually turning on board of that because yeah, if yeah. I had to basically sit. Every single game with a ten men behind the ball, I try to pick up scraps on the counter yeah, attack. Yeah. Um, I'd be pretty bored of that too if I was doing that week in. Week no, out. that's fair. Whereas when you look at now, there's more of a consistent threat. Yeah. Across yeah, the whole yeah, squad, yeah. there's people that could take that creative burden off him. Like before, if you wanted to mark Palace out of the game, you just get on Salah, get two up. or three yeah, on Saha, yeah. get him wound up and you don't usually come out alright at the end of it but now there's a lot more to focus on like there're so many more threats
0: i'm really yeah. I'm impressed by palace i think watching them like they're a team now that i'd actively go out of my way to watch really. yeah like, oh they palace are, i'm going to watch them yeah,
1: they are they are a good they are a good team um yeah. so i th- i th- i think um, there's nothing to panic about them for them because there's a lot more worst dysfunctional teams in the Premier League. And they played one of
0: them (laughs) who are banging trouble. Um, Wolves look like they really could be in trouble and uh, George Mendez has officially ran out of coaches in his little black book and is now going for Michael Beale at QPR. Update on that, he's turned it down. Oh, thank God. Thank God, good work, yeah, I did not I was... want you walking out on QPR at the first sign of Premier no, League he's, interest. Uh, Please, yeah. Appa-
1: apparently, he's um, turned down the um, he's, he turned down the Wolves job. Um, well, so, Steve Davis could have the weirdest CV. Well, in I saw
0: history sacked by Crew Alexandra to Premier League manager at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Well,
1: apparently, um, Wolves have turned around and said that the they expect him to be there until after 2023. So in other words, he's going to be there to the world cup, wow. at least after okay. the world cup, at least. So I think,
0: well, good luck, Steve, Wolves I always planned. liked you with the Alex. It didn't end well, but I always liked you. With the Alex.
1: I, 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 th- I think it's just gonna be fucking hilarious, friend. uh spirit of Santo. <laughs> <laughs> when he finally returns, <laughs> he makes his glorious return. Yeah. He makes his glorious return, but I think it... they're in a, I think they're in a bit of trouble at in the end. They are right? in a bit of trouble. It's kind of weird because
0: they just... they're a team that were pushing for Europe a season ago, two seasons ago, and they're now nine points out of 11, four well, I... losses in the last five.
1: I played play football with a couple of um Wolves fans. Uh, I don't know how Wolves fans ended up in Bristol, but there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I play football with a couple of them weekly. And they were saying that, like, um, you know, I think Bruno has fallen out with a lot of key players. Yeah. I think the very obvious one was... Conor Cody. Conor Cody. Like, there was obviously a falling out there. Apparently, he wanted to go from back three to back to you know, two at the back. Um, and yet know, Cody is going to everton playing a two at the back with Tarkowski has been absolutely fine yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah and I think what they've you know they've not replaced they've been toothless up front. I think uh, Raul Jimenez is not the player he was. It's a no. head injury. No. Fabio Silva didn't work out too well. Well, he's a kid at the end of the day. <laughs> not his, to be fair, it's not his fault. He cost 40 million quid. No, it's not his fault. He's, fault a, little, he's a little
0: child. He was expected. He looks to... like he should be in the Ramones. It's mad. I know. Um, uh,
1: so yeah. And then that's brought in an aging Diego Costa.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not looking good for Wolves. Sorry Wolves fans. I think you're just in trouble it's looking grim for the midlands we've got wolves forest and leicester city all in the bottom three, and villa just ahead of them midlands not having a good time in football at the moment but i think we're going to leave the premier league there for now those are the two games that really caught our eye elsewhere Liverpool beat West Ham 1-0. Darwin Nunes broke the speed record of the Premier League. He apparently hit 38 kilometers an hour at one point during the game. Speed is not something I genuinely thought he had in his game. But he did score his first goal at Anfield. I think a lot of the memes, as always on football Twitter, have been a bit too early. And he's having a very, very good season if he remains not getting sent off for doing stupid things. Um, elsewhere, Southampton beat Bournemouth. Massive win they for Southampton They needed those there. three
1: points, didn't they? Yeah.
0: Yeah. O'Neill loses his first game in charge of Bournemouth since that like 9-0, which obviously wasn't him. But to think of Bournemouth, that's a long unbeaten run. But Shea Adams with a beautiful header got the win for Southampton. And elsewhere... We don't know – well, I don't know who to credit for this uh, for this win. Miguel Almiron, do we credit Jack Grealish or do we I credit think... Eddie Howe? I don't know. It's the
1: the... the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. uh, Almiron fair, is I'm, having a hell of a season I'm, now.
1: I, to be fair, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Almiron because like mm. I, I do watch a little bit of MLS sometimes. and He was really, really good when he played. He looks like a or, super happy,
0: nice guy. I yeah, because
1: like – He was actually quite a regular goal scorer uh, when he was playing for Atlanta United. Uh, But, you know, looking at his stats, like, so in his Premier League career to date, uh, going up until this season, he'd scored nine goals in about 90-odd games. Uh, I think his overall records, and this season he's got five in 11. Yeah, he uh, scored, he's, he
0: scored oh, more this season than Jack Grealish did the entirety of last season. I yeah, was the, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, maybe he's just like upped to a level. Um, I feel like it really is a it's a really feel good story. I really yeah. like it that because you could always see there was a player there. It's kind of like oh, that, 100%, um, yeah, like that Adama Traore vibe. Like, oh, if you had that, if you had end product, you could be absolutely like destroying teams. And I feel like Almiron had that same kind of vibe, like really pacey, really direct great dribbler and you're like oh this guy's great and then you just spam it into the stadium you're like oh damn it <laughs> but, that goal, but now it feels like he's
1: getting the goal there. he scored the other day it was well, last beautiful last. goal Oof.
0: yeah so he's yeah getting some really nice finishes in there almiron so love to see it credit to eddie and a little bit to jack um that's really come and bit you in the ass that one mate um but we're going to leave the premier league roundup there um and we're going to go to Italy's favourite competition, the Coppa Italia. Now, this competition, just to sum up to you, Andy, how ignored this competition is, right? I I was, j-
1: you know what? Until you mentioned it on the WhatsApp
0: group, I did not even know mate. it was happening. It's baffling. <laughs> it is baffling, right? So I was, looking at the, I was looking at the scores, and I was like, oh, okay, Udinese beat Monza 3-2. Okay, fine, that was last night. And I was like, criminese beat Modena. And then I was on my app and i was like (laughs) on yesterday and i was like but it's not there how is it not there and then it kicked off at three o'clock in the afternoon today what so everyone's at work right there was the whole stadium was empty basically there was like a hundred fans there right and it's a it blows my mind how badly they. It's like they hate. They actively hate the competition. It's like it's being forced upon them, and they're like just trying to kill it as quickly as possible. Well, like it's the uh, like the ESL trophy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is just baffling. But the two games we're going to talk about oh, now. The first one we're going to talk about is Cremonese beating Modena four two. A Modena in Serie B, having a pretty good season, kind of mid-table. Um, in the 22nd minute, their defender, Luca Manino, gets sent off. So they're down to 10 men. Nothing happens until the 70th minute, right? Uh, David Okereke, uh, people might remember him from Venezia last year, had a pretty good season. He opens the score and makes it 1-0. Felix Afenejan, who got the headlines at Roma last year, got the trainers from Mourinho. Do you remember that guy? He makes it 2-0. And you think okay, game over. Then in the 89th minute, Modena get a penalty. Davide Dior scores the penalty. And this penalty, he could not have put it more in the top right corner if he tried. Absolutely rocketed it. 89th minute, 2 1. 90th minute, he gets another one straight from kickoff. The modern uh, the cremonese players are passing it back. He just runs, 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 pressures it, taps it past the goalkeeper, makes it 2 2. It's extra time. Finally. A player called Senicola came on in the 70th minute. He scores two in extra time. The ten men get a little bit tired. I think they've been playing with ten men for about 100 minutes at that point point. Um, and it are through. But a great fight from Modena. And what annoyed me was that none of their fans were there to see it because I know. the She's FIGC can't fucking... They can't organise it. It really really annoyed me. I think in a league that for so long was dominated by juventus like nobody else won the league usually cup competitions become really important yeah. then but still nobody gives a fuck and even whenever i mention it to the missus she's like oh copper the, you what the fuck is that no one cares about that like it is so ignored so this pod is going to bring it back because it does have some mental games so as well as the four two we had monza who beat Udinese 3-2. Now, Monza had a really bad start to the season. Both these teams, I think they changed nine, eight, nine players each, Was definitely changed changed teams. But the first goal from Matteo Velotti is an absolute rocket. And one of the pod's favorite players, Andrea Patania, who, if you Google him... I think Paddy Power nailed the description of him. He looks like an Irish Sunday League footballer. But <laughs> he's from the south of Italy. He's a little bit overweight and he's a <laughs> fucking legend. And he scores a goal that I can only describe as like, you know, the Zlatan goal, that Zlatan yeah. goal where he dribbles past everyone. It's like the Sunday League version of that, that you might see <laughs> on Twitter. And you're like, have you seen this goal? And you're like, oh my days, it is a beautiful goal. The guy is so unpredictable. The last, five minutes later, he missed an absolute sitter, and you're like, "Oh, Patania never change. What a player!" But he got the winner. Beautiful goal. Udinese hit the ball three times in the last ten minutes, but Monza did manage to cling on. Um, and I think, despite the fact that these have all been massively ignored games, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of entertainment to be had. For example, Sampdoria and Ascoli. I think Sampdoria have just won 9-8 on penalties. I don't know if it's still going on now. Just Google uh, 9-8, yeah. 9-8 on penalties. Honestly, Italian FA, you have to invest in this a little bit more. And they run it really like, the whole thing, the, the draws decided before the thing kicks off. It's just, honestly, you could not run it worse if you tried. But the games that are coming up now... Um, because it's all been decided. In the next round, we have Interplay in Parma. Atalanta taking on Spezia. Juve versus Monza. Bellasconia versus, U- versus Juve feels like a big thing. Yeah. Um, Napoli will be taking on Cremonese. Torino versus Milan. Sampdoria versus Fiorentina. And Roma versus Genoa. There's only Lazio waiting to decide who they're going to be playing. And that is because there's one more game this evening, I think... Bologna, which Cal- it is isn't it Bologna Cagliari, which is currently nil-nil 15 minutes in. So Copper Italia, there's the roundup. Um, I think that's all the Italian football at the moment before we preview the weekend. But before we go to the weekend preview, and listeners, I completely forgot our interview this week, which I have not talked about at all, which is coming up after this. We need to talk about the news that broke um this afternoon about Iran potentially being banned from the World Cup. Now, Andy, I'm going to let you, what were your first opinions, thoughts, feelings towards this story? Well, it's one of those, like, surely
1: what's going on in Iran isn't new news (laughs) it's not like it's all just kicked off in the past two weeks and nobody's known about it there's been protests going on there for the past month you know in terms of the human rights side of things that hasn't been particularly great for for as long as i can remember being alive to be honest Uh, and now all of a sudden a month before the world cup where it's almost most certainly too late um they've obviously gone you know if I think the base is on the basis that uh, according to FIFA's rules, which are quite crystal clear for once, you know, the, <laughs> whether they
0: follow them or not is their own business, but, the, is, rules are but the rules clear, itself yeah. are clear where
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. it says that the, the FA has to be independent from the government. And to mm-hmm. be fair, they have clamped down on that in certain countries over the years Um yeah. to be fair to them. Um, and that, yep, yeah, that's a good rule. That makes sense. And you know, they've got to be like equal access to football stadiums. Now, generally speaking, um, women in Iran aren't allowed in football stadiums. There was a big PR move. I think I remember about 18 months, two years ago, in which they were allowed into stadiums, but generally speaking the understanding is that on the ground week to week this this still isn't a thing um obviously there's big concerns about the um the after athlete that competed without a hijab and there's a little bit concerns about her safety um very you know very similar kind of vibes to that chinese um tennis player um as well so there is Previous for it, you know, I think there's arguments that according to statutes, um, they shouldn't be in the tournament. But then, I think you were looking into
0: earlier of who potentially replaces them. Yeah well I think it's before like I think it's interesting because it's Iranian athletes that have written to FIFA and said you should kick Iran out yeah. of this. So I think it's really interesting that they know how much the government are relying on the football team as, as a sports washing project, right? As a kind of Iran can't be that bad. Look, they they're quite good in the World Cup. So I think it's interesting that it's Iranian athletes that have written it. They've as far as I've read they've not said whether it's the football team themselves, whether there's any footballers tied to it. They've just said Iranian athletes. I think it it kind of in a weird way encourages me because i feel like we've talked about how russia had been banned from all the tournaments rightly but for example at that point then you could say israel shouldn't be allowed to compete and you could say a few countries in africa shouldn't be allowed to compete and like there's there are lines that need to be drawn right but i feel like this could be an awakening moment for world football. This could be a moment where FIFA, and I really am in full optimism mode at this point, where FIFA do go, you know what, we're going to try and actually stand up to these things and be consistent across the board. Obviously, they're not going to. Obviously, they're not going to. But I feel like we could see the start of a movement where at least there's a bit more awareness among football fans and there's a bit more awareness among the federations themselves, that there's at least the possibility of sanctions if there's something going on. And you can't just use it as a sports washing project. This all being said, while they're going to be banned from a World Cup that's being hosted in Qatar, right? That's the the elephant in the room, right? So if they are banned, the teams that could replace them, I don't know how they would do it. So UAE finished third in the group and they lost the playoff to Australia, um, the cross-continental playoff. So maybe they say, okay, UAE, you go through. That kind of makes sense to me, really. Um, but that relies on FIFA making sense. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, if they say, no, UAE, you lost that playoff, and therefore it doesn't count, the team that finished fourth was Iraq. Um it would be interesting to see Iraq at a World Cup, I suppose. Iraq, um,
1: USA, and England. Yeah. What, could, what could possibly go wrong? Yes, I didn't even think
0: of that. <laughs> oh, FIFA, just do that. Just do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah.
1: Just, for, just, for the drama. Unless FIFA do something batshit mental where they look at their FIFA rankings and go, right, what is the highest ranked nation that didn't... For-
0: highest ranked Asian nation that didn't make it, Yeah. Japan? Oh god, yeah, I didn't even think of Iraq, Iraq, America and England in the same group, Jesus Christ. Are oh, Japan but... in the World Cup?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Japan, South Korea, I can't really think of Australia.
0: Because right? Australia are technically the Asian thing, aren't they? They're not oceania <laughs> They qualified for it, didn't they? Um, through the playout, They qualified yeah. through the playout. So they beat UAE in the playout. Um well, good. Yeah. So I feel like this story, we will kind of keep on top of it as it progresses. I kind of think that we might see them kicked out of the tournament. I think that FIFA will actually act on this because there's going to be quite a lot of public pressure. Good. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they solve it. Obviously, for the Iranian footballers, it's a shame that they'd miss out on a World Cup, but I'm sure that most of them are more concerned about what's going on in their country at the moment than playing in a World Cup, really. Um, so on that kind of sour note and a kind of open end, um, we're going to lead you into our big, big interview, uh, which I'm really excited about. And we've kind of trailed it a few times, but the interview coming up is from a, I'm going to say football league legend, a goalkeeper who has represented the Northeast of England and the champions of Greece, his career talking from Thessaloniki to Hartlepool. We are, of course, talking about Dimi Constantopoulos. Guys, this interview is fascinating. He's got some great stories. Enjoy. Born in Thessaloniki, he swapped (laughs) the sunny beaches of Greece for the sunny beaches of Hartlepool his career would take him from league two all the way to the premier league and into the national team a legend for both the monkey hangers and the mighty borough I'm pretty sure he'll never have to buy a beer in the northeast again well maybe in Newcastle but welcome to the show Dimi Constantopoulos Dimi how are we doing this evening
2: I'm good I'm good glad to be here Uh, thanks for inviting me
0: no, our pleasure, absolutely, our pleasure. So, where where are you calling us from? Um, yeah, where are you at the moment?
2: I'm in Greece in uh, Arigno, a town called Arinio, The club's called uh, called uh, Panatolikos. We're in the top flight in uh, in Greece, and I'm coaching here at the minute. Nice.
0: And how is it going there? I know that like the Greek the Greek Super League's definitely got a bit more competitive the last couple of years. How is it to be? coaching in the greek super league
2: it's good it's uh it's obviously the, the high level and uh you know you get great experience uh that's what i need at the minute uh mm-hmm. my coaching development uh, i've got uh, the manager obviously he asked me to come here uh, with the agreement that i'm gonna have a uh, uh, more more freedom to get involved with the with the first team as well. So that's what I'm doing. We started really well. We've got ten points from six games, which is which is great for for a team sort of smallish team. Um you know um, not in a big town. Uh yeah, we've got another game tomorrow, so yeah. We are things are looking good at the minute.
0: Nice, that's good. So, uh, so um, who's the team you're playing tomorrow?
2: Uh, we're playing Volos. It's another team at our level. And I've got a point, one more point. Uh, I've got 11 points. So, it's uh, It's going to be, it's not going to be an easy game. No games are easy when you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're not you're not a big team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as I said, we're confident. So, we're going to go for it.
0: Nice. Well, yes. our listeners and our viewers will have to keep an eye out for... I'm going to try and say this right. I'm terrible with Greek words. I apologize. Panetolikos, is that right? Yeah, correct. Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) we will have to keep an eye out for your results. And hopefully this weekend you'll get three points against Volos. I do have to also say to the listeners and the viewers, Adam is here as well. Um, Hello, Adam. Um, (laughs) Hello. But, uh, Dimi, we're going to start at the beginning of your career. And there was one question we wanted to ask. And I find it fascinating. How... Did you discover that you were going to be a goalkeeper? Were you always a goalkeeper in school? Did you play outfield? Like, how did that happen?
2: No, you know, when you're in school, you you experiment, you play basically every position. Um, I had a knack of uh, wanting to dive all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it just uh, uh, sort of cemented my uh, my preference, if you want. Um, my my one of my oldest uh, my older cousins, he. Uh, his dad took him to a, to a club in the academy as a goalkeeper. So I got a bit jealous and I said to my dad, you know, why, why, why is he and not me? So he took me to a club, uh, <laughs> junior's level and I progressed from there, you know, I just fell in love with the position and, you know, that, that, that was it. And do you think it's true when
0: people say that there's something different about goalkeepers? It takes a different type of person. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they say the goalkeepers have to be a little bit crazy, and it's yeah, it's, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wanted you to say it, not
2: me. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is a unique position because where most like where every player goes with their feet, we have to go with our with our hands and our heads, mm-hmm. basically. Um, you have to be brave. You have to be um, patient because uh, it's uh, a unique position on the pitch. Uh, you have to have great uh, balance. I think. Um, Mentally, um, and uh, not get disappointed, not get too excited. I think that's mm-hmm. this position requires uh, consistency more than mm-hmm. any other position uh, on the pitch. And I think that's the key to a successful career as a goalkeeper. I was going to ask
3: you actually on that one um, because obviously it feels like when you're a goalkeeper, you're more scrutinised than any other position on the pitch. So certainly as your career progressed, did you feel like it got easier for you or did it kind of maintain the same level of uh, expectation anyway for you anyway?
2: I think um, I like the fact that our position is black and white. You know, Mm. it's you either, you know, have a good game or you don't have a good game because uh, th- our uh, mistakes are obvious, our good uh, actions are obvious. So there's not many things to, to look into uh, unless you want to pick on some details. So yeah, I like that uh, that part and, uh, you know, makes you a bit more focused, but that's what it requires. It requires a lot of focus. Uh, I've been into games that and, as, and I say to the goalkeepers that I coach now, that I'd rather you come in after a game out uh, with a headache because you're concentrating for 95 minutes. Because, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you there might be games that the, you got nothing to do for 88 minutes. And then, you know, from then on, you have to call into action two three times and you have to be ready for it. So, yeah, I, I, I had games that, you know, my head was pounding after I, I, I came off the pitch. <laughs> But uh, I kept the clean
0: sheet, so, yeah, that's the reward. <laughs> it's worth it, right? It's worth it. And did you have any techniques to help you concentrate? Because my concentration span is terrible, right? And I've, I've heard interviews with, like, Neville Southall, where he had, like, a traffic light system of, like, red, orange, green for how, he, how much he could relax. Did you have a system of, like, or a way of keeping your concentration? Because it seems like a really long time. If you're winning 5-0 and you've not seen the ball in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, how do you concentrate?
2: No, my, my motivation was always clean sheets. I've got a good okay. clean sheet record wherever I've played. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, no matter what the scoreline was, you know, in front, my, my goal was to keep a clean sheet. And that's that's what I was telling my defenders. If we're winning 4-0, I would still tell them to keep concentrated. Because of, uh, ultimately, like, the strikers, they uh, measure if you want the their capability in goals or their performance. Mm-hmm. We are measuring clean sheets. Obviously, it's a collective thing, as scoring goals and, and mm-hmm. defending. But the goalkeeper and defender, take we, we take pride in clean sheets. So, that was my motivation. I was trying to do that in every game, either playing a big opponent or a small one. Because they, they not only make you feel good, they give you confidence in the rest of the team. And obviously, if you can manage to keep many clean sheets, one after the other, it becomes... Uh, like a automatic through the team that you know the confidence is up and we're not going to consider go a goal and that makes it even even more easier. Nice. So we're gonna we're gonna look at your career and we're gonna you
0: you started in Kalamata. Now I saw that the Brazilian legend Jorginho briefly was manager there. Right? How did you first get your opportunity at Kalamata and who was the coach that kind of gave you your first big? A uh, big chance.
2: I, I actually started a, a, a team called Ambelokipi uh, in Thessaloniki. There was it was a League One team back then. I only stayed there. I became professional there uh, at the age of seventeen. And from the summer, I stayed there until the January. Then Kalamata uh, bought me. Um, they were in the top division back then. And My first manager in Kalamata was. Swedish guy called Bo Pettersson. Uh, very good character, very good coach. Uh, he uh, was very serious. He had the, you know, um, he was a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made it easier for me as a, you know, a teenager basically to, to adapt. Um, so, yeah, it was good. But um, I owe a lot a lot to my coach before that in the ambelokibi. Club before, uh, who took me from an amateur club as a basically a, a mold, mm-hmm. and he made me uh, into to a goalkeeper. If you if you want, I was a tall kid who liked to dive around, and he would take me from uh, pick me up from my house two hours before every training. Would do some individual stuff, and then train with the team, and that really helped me. In the, gave me the the basics and technique-wise, uh, stuff that I carried on throughout my career. Nice. nice. And you went on to make
0: seven appearances for Kalamata. How did it feel like to actually become a professional goalkeeper? Did it feel like, was there a moment when you realized, like, okay, I can make this a
2: career? Like, was that the moment? Yeah, I had this thing, uh, I don't know, lack of, lack of, I don't know how you call it, uh, lack of sense of danger or something or okay, right. since, I, since I was a kid that I was thinking uh, that's what I like to do that's what I'll be doing for the rest of my life obviously looking back now it's not that that easy because uh, there was you know, hundreds of kids that playing with me ge- growing up that they wanted to do the same and they didn't but I don't know maybe you know, that ignorance that I had uh, that this was my this is going to be my, my my job when I grow up. Maybe it helped me a little bit. Obviously, you have to be a bit, a bit lucky. Sometimes uh, you have to be you have to be good. Uh, I, I was I, I got involved with the national teams, uh, you know, under yeah. uh, under 15s and under 17s. Uh, and obviously, your name uh, circulates a bit more mm-hmm. when you start with the national teams. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, it was it was a special moment. Uh, yeah, but it was for me it was it was a it was a normal thing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if, if
3: Sorry. go on, go on Rory.
0: No, no, so you always in, in the back of your mind you always expected it to happen. You you had the confidence to be like, I can definitely do this. Yes, which was which looking back, it was
2: it was silly. Okay, <laughs> right. but, but I did have that, yeah. <laughs>
3: And well, I was like going to say, um, if I believe it right, your inspiration was Peter Schmeichel. So I was going to say how much of that Schmeichel, kind of what you saw in that early days, did you bring into your footballing side as well?
2: I was a massive fan of Peter Schmeichel. That's, that's why I wanted to go to, to play in England. I was a, my dad was a fan of Man United since George Best. And well, I became a fan of Man United because I was watching Peter Schmeichel. And uh yeah, I was, I was watching games, I was studying his, his, his moves. Um, obviously, later on, I realized that you cannot be Peter Schmeichel or you cannot be any other goalkeeper because you're a different, mm-hmm. different, stat, different body, you know. So you have to work on your own strengths. But taking little bits and pieces uh, that could help you technically or positionally or even... Uh, um, like commanding your your the defense, or positioning wise, or eh, all aspects, taking little things, or watching little clips, or watching games. I think that that, that helps. But it's it's for the for the for the young goalkeepers. Uh, I would say, don't try to be someone else. Just try to be the best version of yourself. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's simpler. Uh, So, so
0: you talked about strengths there. What do you think the strengths of your, like, if you had to say, like, my strengths as a goalkeeper were? What do you think your your personal strengths were? I
2: think I had a um, real calm presence. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry. worry. I had a a real calm presence, and I wasn't wasn't looking stressed during the game. Uh, One of my teammates, I think. uh, some point before a game he said to me are you going to get stressed please you know <laughs> I said, I said <laughs> I just, uh, and uh, I think my positioning was was quite good I, I, had, a, I had a good awareness uh, where I was around the goal um, and that I, I always said a good position it's it's half half the same uh, I, never, I never used to be the a very spectacular goalkeeper, uh, you know, legs flying around, up in the air and stuff. Uh, I just I was just, I always wanted to be effective, uh, any way I could. So yeah, I think those two were my my strengths, you know, being being calm, and uh, that transmits to the the rest of the team, I think, and uh, you know, position
3: wise. So, Dimi, we're going to talk a bit more about how the move to Hartlepool took place. And I believe uh, from what I've seen on a previous interview, you kind of made out that this could be like a, almost a blockbuster movie in itself. Um, in particular, I, I'm just curious how your kind of agent managed to persuade you to take up this role. But, um I'm also fascinated purely because I'm a Wickham Wonders fan, so I remember that pool team quite well as well. And uh, you managed to go to Adams Park one year and get promotion uh, through a certain result that you appeared in. But I was, I'm also very curious about Neil Cooper and that team as well because it felt like it was quite a progressive team, like. Uh, Lot of individuals in that team that went on to play at championship level as well. But um, let's talk. Go back and talk about that move. So um, yeah, you, you kind of referred to it as a blockbuster. So how did that move take place?
2: Oh, it was a, it was a blockbuster. It was such a <laughs> such a bizarre story. I wasn't a, I wasn't a in Spain. I was trialing for for this second division club, near Malaga. You know brilliant weather, the club was quite good. It was called Jerez. Uh, we were in a five-star hotel, a brand-new stadium. So after about a week, they offered me a deal, which I was going to sign the the next day. On the night, uh, an agent called me and said, there's this club in, in England. Uh it's called Harlepool, they want to take a look at you. I would just I said, you you had me at England, you know, I didn't even let, listen to <laughs> the rest. So <laughs> I just I booked a, an early ticket from uh, a train ticket to go from Erez to Malaga, a flight to go to the Teesside Airport. Uh, I left the hotel about five in the morning. The people from Erez, they were looking for me to picked me up from training the next morning <laughs> and I was gone I was flying to uh to Tisane. And I landed in the Tisane airport they picked me up and they put me in uh in a BB breakfast uh, B&B hotel in uh, in Seaton Karoo. So it was a bit of a shock coming from a from a from a sunny mile, plus like, degrees uh, yeah, yeah. yeah to Seaton Karoo from a five star hotel to a bed and breakfast. Uh, but I was in England and I was happy about it, and uh, you know, I was focused to obviously show what I can do. And uh, mm. it was, it was, you know, if you look if you look back, it was such a stupid decision to to make because I had a contract <laughs> ready for me, somewhere which was nice. I just left it there to go to trial again to another club, who you weren't guaranteed anything. But I believed in myself, so yeah, it turned out quite all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were there
0: for a while you're a player like when when i think about that pool team i always remember like jeff stelling of course is like the big hartley thing but mm. i remember he him talking about you quite a lot on soccer saturday and you seem like a bit of a cult hero like what were your first impressions of hartley you can be honest and how did you like how do you feel about that club and that place now because it seems like such a huge part of your career
2: mm. right i don't i don't I don't know, a soft spot for England because mm-hmm. when I was um, younger with the national team, we had a, we went to Scotland and we had a mini tournament there and I really enjoyed it, you know, the, the pitches, the, the weather. Yeah, mm-hmm. Even even though I'm from Greece, I never liked too hot weather, especially okay. training and playing. So I preferred playing in the rain or playing when mm-hmm. it's a bit cold. So, yeah, from that aspect, it was fine. It was, I was just a bit uh, unsure because I started realizing what I've done you know uh, okay. uh, I just completely blew a, a contract with a with a decent club uh, and I was there just trialing again mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it because they made me feel okay, uh, good from the from the first day the the lads helped massively because we had a very good uh, team very good bunch of uh, players um, the togetherness was very good and uh, Bunting was really good, so yeah, I felt really comfortable straight away. And then, uh, and then after a few couple of months or two, three months, I signed my first uh, proper contract. And mm. the rest is the rest
0: is history, as I say. <laughs> Well, as Adam said, that team, that was the team with George Boyd up front, right? Was that when George Boyd was up front? Adam Boyd. Adam Boyd. Adam Boyd. Sorry, Sorry. there's there's two of them, right? Adam Boyd. Yeah, so that team, like, I think Adam wanted to ask about it as well, but it went, that seemed like a really good, promising, like, exciting Hartlepool team to be part of.
2: Yeah, it was a great team. Neil Cooper was the manager, and he uh, he, he he called me, he nicknamed me Chewbacca, straight away because I had a lot of hair and uh, yeah, which I didn't enjoy much and then before I knew it the whole crowd would call him a uh but he he was a very talented character you know he was a, you know he was a good coach but he was a manager you know he could manage the, the players as a personality wise and you know their, their mm-hmm. egos and the different uh, personalities so yeah the first time I spoke to him you know it's me coming from thinking I can speak English and he starts speaking Scottish heavy Scottish to me <laughs> and I can't understand anything <laughs> just picking words from here and there and just nodding and then I went back to the hotel thinking I've got a, my, my, my my English is bad I have a problem with English but it wasn't it wasn't me <laughs> no one could understand him properly
3: No that's very true I think even for many Englishmen they don't understand many Scotsmen to be fair Um, but even during your time you obviously passed Neil Cooper you also had if I believe right Danny Wilson as well in charge for a period of time you had Martin Smith as well as Paul Stevenson who's a bit of a club legend as well during that time so you kind of experienced different managers during your time at Hartlepool. Was there any kind of particular manager that stood out apart from Neil Cooper that you would kind of reflect on as well?
2: Definitely, Danny Wilson. Uh, he um, he was a great motivator. Mm. Um, he knew how to react uh, in, uh, after every game to keep the team ticking over. We had a we had a, under him. We had a spell of twenty three games unbeaten. You know, uh, eighteen wins and uh, five draws. Uh, so, yeah, we. Uh, he was he was a great motivator, a great great manager, uh, a great man manager, and uh, I, I learned a lot from him. I learned obviously that I can use now in the coaching. That I learned that every um, every player is a different personality, and uh, you 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 have to try to get a hundred percent out of them. So you have to use different tools, different approach uh, to everyone. You have to know your players, and that's ultimately the. The job of the manager, you know, to get 100% out of uh, the team. and uh, The way to do that is learning uh, what makes each player push themselves and uh, apply that. And that's what he did. And he was very successful with it. Mm, well,
0: and, and he was the manager, of course, in the 06-07 season when hartley you would gain promotion um, from League Two in second place. And I've seen that in that season, in 46 games, you only conceded um, 23 goals. You kept 22 clean sheets across that season. Like how how incredible was it to be part of that season? Like and finishing on 88 points. That is that is incredible. Really,
2: mm. That was good. And considering that we didn't have the best of sides, mm-hmm. uh, we were sort of struggling the first 10, 12 games, I think. Uh, and then obviously we kept on with it. We had that run, and we, as I said, we, we, it, it became. Uh, came a point that we uh we sort of believed that we're not going to concede, Uh, no matter what, you know, we're going to keep the clean sheet, and uh, that really helps massively because uh, football in every any sport really is, I think, it's you know, 60 percent uh mentality and 40 percent the rest. Uh, You can be the best athlete in the world if you're mentally weak or you have uh losing mentality you're not gonna you're not gonna perform
3: so thinking about now moving away from marley before you got that move to coventry was there a load of clubs after you because i seem to remember at the time you were kind of highly thought of by a number of clubs at the time but i don't know if it kind of transpired to you or your agent at the time that there was clubs looking at you
2: yeah there was a there was a lot of interest uh, there was a lot of premiership clubs and uh, uh, there was uh, celtic they were interested. Wow. Okay. They came to see me. and uh, But the thing is, and uh, the, the chairman back then, Ken Hotcroft, said it at some interview later on when I left, that we could have made a lot of money from, from Dimi, but we didn't need to because we were, you know, financially secure, and we didn't want to sell our best mm-hmm. players. And that's what happened. You know, uh, uh, it was, <laughs> clubs were ringing and uh, Hollywood was saying uh, not for sale. So they weren't were really... Uh, you know, even getting into negotiations, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a bit, you know, seen back then. You know, at least I, I would, I should, I think I should have known, you know, mm-hmm. to Emma uh, saying, um, but that's that was their policy, and it was a, a, a successful policy while they were, uh, you know, they owned the club. Uh, yeah, and then obviously when my contract finished, I decided it was time for me to to move if I wanted to try in a higher level. Mm. To go to Coventry,
0: it was quite like a historically successful team. Mm. Um, did it feel like a big move? Were you excited to get, like, to make that that step up?
2: Yeah, I was ready. Um, there was, there was about five or six championship clubs that were interested. Uh, Coventry, I spoke to them and uh, they sort of, you know, sold it to me. Uh, mm. And, uh, that's why I decided to, to go to commentary. We, we we had a good team. Ian Downey was the manager. We started a then things started getting getting a bit, uh, you know, we hit a, a, a bad patch. Uh, then I got injured. I ruptured my Achilles mm. and sort of, you know, all went mm. shaped from there. And when you like I don't wanna dwell on it too
0: much if you don't want to, but when you get a big injury like that, how do you how do you deal with the time away from the pitch? Because obviously a ruptured Achilles is like a big deal. Like yeah, how do you deal with
2: your time away? It's difficult, you know. It's difficult for any sports person will tell you that you don't you don't want to be on the sidelines, you don't want to be out of action. Um, but it's a process that you need to follow and you need to and you need to you know to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. And to look forward to when you're going to be ready again without without pushing anything or without you know trying to get there earlier you know risking to get injured again. So yeah, I had a good recovery. I followed the, the procedure. Um, I um, I listened to the, the doctors and everything. And you know I, I worked hard. And then I wanted mm-hmm. when I get back, I wanted to be ready to play instead of taking another you know so many weeks or months to get back into um, up to up to speed and then as soon as I was uh, was okay uh, the swansea uh, loan came the swansea offer it was perfect for me because I could go and yeah. you know and maybe get some playing time
0: well this is actually you've taken us to the next thing we wanted to talk about <laughs> as I was kind of doing my research I was like Ah oh, Swansea City and Cardiff. Okay. In the same season. That's like that's a heated <laughs> oh rivalry.
2: I yeah. um, must be a man on that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how did it how yeah, how did that happen and how was was the like reaction from fans? I know that that is the derby that people yeah. don't appreciate how heated that
2: is. There's another blockbuster. I swear to god, <laughs> if, if I write my autobiography, it's going to be a <laughs> yeah. it it's been so so strange situations. Uh, Swansea, uh, their, their goalkeeper was injured and they uh, asked me to go on loan. So I went alone. I played a few games. I really enjoyed it because it was fantastic. You know, Roberto Martinez was the manager. Mm. Uh, great staff, great players. Togetherness was, was brilliant. Uh, and I really enjoyed my time. So in uh, January, Malone was was finishing. So we decided to uh, extend it until the end of the season, and then get a um, get a permanent move to Swansea. Okay. Uh, I spoke with the manager. He said we want you here and everything. So it's a deadline day, and we're about to sign the contract. So I was I was in Birmingham, I remember, uh, which is uh, about half an hour drive from mm-hmm. Coventry,
1: mm.
2: and uh, about. Three, three hours, three, four hours before, um, before the end of the deadline, I set off to go to sign the contract with Swansea, but we were snowed in, and the roads were snowed in, so um. I, I, you could, you couldn't move anywhere. It was unbelievable, and I managed to get to the stadium. Uh, with five minutes delay. Oh. So I signed it for five minutes. They rejected it. They rejected the move, <laughs> which was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was disappointing. And then a week after, um, Cardiff came. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And uh, like, uh, I'm just on a bit of a tangent with the deadline day. Like when you're a player on deadline day, is it because we hear a lot of like managers talk about how like nervous and like frantic and etc. cetera it is. If you're a player, how is deadline day? Are you expecting, like, do you know if offers are going to come in or do you genuinely get surprises where you're like, oh, wait, I have to leave now? Like, how is, how is it from a player's point of view?
2: No, usually, you know, through your agent, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you have to be prepared. If something is on the works, unless unless it's, uh, you know, last minute or negotiations mm-hmm. keep going, uh, then you have to be on standby. But generally, you, you're told and, you know, you, they try to do it with 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 plenty of time uh but uh that was what happened to me was it sh- it should be with plenty of time to spare but due to the weather we 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 end up uh, losing it which was uh yeah it was was disappointing
0: and is there a reason they rejected it if it was 5 minutes before the deadline i don't understand like they just said it was too late like
2: yeah they said it was too late right. it was 5 minutes too late and it was you know sometimes they they make an exception uh, they didn't at this time and it was really really frustrating
3: i was a student at coventry university at the time he were actually playing for coventry which was just by coincidence (laughs) um but one of the things i wanted to ask you was there's a lot of talk about the financial issues at coventry especially they moved into the big rico arena as it was called at the time and I, i wanted to ask from your opinion obviously it was leaked to the press on many occasions in Coventry about the financial issues, but how much of that did the actual players get wind of it? And how much did that affect the performance as well? Because obviously it was back and forth between kind of the owners as well as the owners of the ground because it wasn't owned by Coventry city at the time as well and they had these huge depths at the time as well ian dowie had kind of like got this really good squad together because you know it wasn't just yourself the likes of leon mckenzie for example that was quite doing quite well at that period of his career as well so i just wanted to kind of get a feel for that period as well was there kind of that kind of feeling with the squad or was that kind of kept separate to you guys
2: um while i was there we knew there were some issues, but it was never obvious. It was never got to the point that there were issues with the ground or, you know, everything was good. We knew the club wasn't doing all right financially. Uh, we we, we didn't, have, it didn't have an impact on, on, on the players, but obviously it it accumulated more and more and more. in the end, it, it, it turned out to be really bad, you mm-hmm. know the club having to move from Rico Arena and having to play in other uh, grounds for, for many years yeah. uh, until they stabilized now. So, yeah, while I was there, we knew it. We just we just didn't see it in, the, in, the, in our everyday mm-hmm. routine.
0: And does yeah. it feel like something you just, you obviously can't get involved in it. You just have to get on with your job, right? It's just something you have to try and ignore.
2: Yeah, 100%. You know, mm-hmm. you our job was to to perform on the training and in, in, in games. You know, people in the boardroom, their jobs are to make sure everything is run smoothly mm-hmm. behind the scenes. So, yeah, you you can't really get involved with other people's jobs. You just hope they do theirs uh, well, so we 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 can be able to do ours well too. Mm-hmm. And then, as you
0: said, so then you go back to Greece and you get a move to where you play for AEK Athens. And that is one of the teams that I don't really know much about Greek football. I'm going to kind of claim ignorance a little bit here, but they are the team alongside Olympiaikos and Panathinaikos that most people know, right? Mm. Um, How did it feel to play for one of the biggest teams in your home country? Was that like, that must have been a hugely proud moment, right?
2: Yeah, it was great. Um, My first year was actually to a club that... uh, uh, just got promoted to the Super League uh, Corfu kerkira mm-hmm. FC
3: kerkira.
2: I did really well uh, I got voted uh, goalkeeper of the season and uh, that's why I had offers from AK Athens Olympiacos Panathinaikos they was sort of sniffing around yeah I chose uh, AK Athens uh, and the first year was fantastic you know we had great players uh, Eddie Good Johnson Barcelona and Chelsea wow. we had yeah. uh, Greek internationals. Um, we had a great team, and we end up playing Europa League uh, group stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really enjoyable. But the second season, the club just collapsed financially, and we end up playing with just kids. All the players left, and uh, yeah, it wasn't enjoyable. But the, the pressure playing for a club like that—it's it's big. You know, all mm-hmm. the the light, the, the spotlights are on you. You know. From, any mistake or any bad performance, you have every newspaper in the country talking about it and uh, but it's you know it's a challenge, and I enjoy the challenge and uh, yeah, it was great uh, learning curve c- and experience as well Was that the club mm-hmm. where you feel like
0: the the pressure was on the most, like you felt most under scrutiny
2: um, you could say i think I think the pressure comes from 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 yourself. Okay. Uh, I, I always been the, the, the biggest critic of, of my performances, you know, and, uh, you know, if, if, I didn't perform well, I wasn't expecting to read it somewhere or hear it from someone else. I knew it straight away and I was trying to find out how I can, uh, you know, I can, I can, I can change that. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, you, you get a lot of attention when you're in a club like this, uh. You get a lot of everything you say could be, sort of, mistranslated translated or, you know, misinterpreted, uh, de- depending on who's uh, trying to interpret it. So you have to be careful, uh, but that's that's part of the package. Mm. And then, unfortunately, that AEK Athens se-
0: season ended in very badly, and there was a points deduction due to a pitch invasion. Like, how did it feel for something that was kind of out of your control, or massively out of your control, to have such a big impact on your season? Like that must be, I can't. Frustrating doesn't even start to cover it. I think
2: uh, it was a mess from the from the start of the season. We were doomed. You know, we had it was a big club with uh, how how can I say very uh, players that couldn't couldn't handle uh, okay. because they were young because they were inexperienced. Uh, they couldn't perform under yeah. that pressure. And we didn't perform because we didn't have a good team. Uh, and obviously the fans were angry. So you, you kind of, you could see where it was heading. Mm-hmm. Um, the season where it was going to end up. And unfortunately that's where it ended up. Uh, which was uh, disappointing for, for, for us as players and for the fans. Um, but uh, as I always said, I take everything as a as a, as a lesson, and um, mm-hmm. that was a lesson for me. Uh, sort of made me stronger as a, as, as a character, as a personality. I think, which I used later on, you know, playing for Middlesbrough.
3: I was just going to say, was A.K. Athens that experience also led by the financial aspect? Because Rivaldo signs like back in two thousand eight, that was quite a big signing for Greek football at the time, and it seems to like just accumulate over time to the point that yeah, by the, that season. It kind of came to effect, a bit like Leeds in the UK when they had that bankrolling spree, and then suddenly they had to sell these assets. Essentially, was that the kind of same aspect with a Ek Athens?
2: Yeah, the club had a lot of debts, and uh, it, it couldn't cover the debts uh, because they were left from previous owners. Uh, so, yeah, it was inevitable. You know, there was either going to be a takeover, was from someone who's going to take care of all this debt. But mm. no one was willing. I think there was a, there was some you could say a bit of a plan to do that for mm-hmm. because in Greece, if you did go bust, uh, you go down to back then you used to go down third third division, mm-hmm. and all your debts are uh, erased. Uh, so I think they, they saw it as a solution uh, mm-hmm. to the problem, and maybe take a few, couple of years to get back to the Super League. But before we move on
0: to your time at Middlesbrough, I think we should talk about the positives at AEK AEK Athens as well. You did get to play in the Europa League group stages. How did it feel to play in European football? Did that feel like the kind of highest level you got to? Did that feel like a kind of real achievement?
2: No, it was brilliant. It was a different experience. It was um, playing with different different teams from different countries. It's the, you know, it it sort of broadens your... um, your your perception of about football you 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 have to you don't really know what to expect and it makes uh, makes it really competitive. Uh, we you know we had a good run, uh, we had a good team uh, uh, back then. Yeah, uh, obviously we had some injuries while we were in the stages, uh, but I really really enjoyed it and uh, yeah, it's it's a great uh, experience. It's 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 similar to in the Champions League but obviously
0: you know a uh, level down if you want and you got to play some pretty big teams right you got to play away at some big stadiums like this was the group with was it Anderlecht Locomotive yeah. Moscow like there's some big yeah. teams right playing away in Belgium playing yeah. away in Russia how did it feel to play in Moscow like I imagine it's pretty intimidating right oh it was, it was cold Jesus
2: yeah. Christ <laughs> well and that yeah, and that. yeah. But that yeah it's it's <laughs> It, it was good. It was good. It was great, great experience. It was uh, before, before that on the group stage, we went to play in Georgia uh, mm-hmm. against the Dynamo Tbilisi, Tbilisi wow. uh, home and away, so we can get into the group stages. Uh, that was intimidating a bit because the, the full ground was uh, was packed. We beat them at uh, home 1-0, so they had to beat us. We ended up getting a draw 1-1. And we went through, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. It sort of toughens you up a little bit.
0: Nice. And then from here, you get your move to Middlesbrough. And this is right now. I have friends who support Middlesbrough and I'm going to have some questions kind of coming up to you from them. But um, this was a a, a a team on the up, right? Managed by Aito Karanka and you were a huge, huge part of that team. That did end up winning promotion. How did it? How was it to be coached by kind of Crank? A, 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 he was. He had a very, very good career at Real Madrid, right? How did it feel to be coached by him? And how was it to be back in the northeast of England, but with Middlesbrough?
2: I, w- I was in the northeast from on holiday, really, because my wife's from Harlepool, and uh, you know, I just finished from AK Athens, and I was just staying there for a bit, and uh, the call came from Middlesbrough. Stephen Pearce, the goalkeeping coach, knew me and they had an injury and uh, Tony Mowbray was the manager then. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they got me in on a short-term contract uh, and then after about two months, uh, Tony left and and I took him and that was uh, sort of where things changed for me. And uh, I think obviously Tony, you know, is a fantastic manager, fantastic man, but he had his goalkeepers already and you know, it was harder for me to, to break in. Uh, when uh, I took Kane, it was like a clean slate for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a foreign manager who didn't really know sorry so much about English players and names. Uh, so he said it from the first day. He said, I don't care about contracts. I don't care about names. I'll just see what I see in training. And I'll just pick the players that I think that they can do the job for me. And uh, yeah, he gave me my opportunity uh, eventually. I finished the season playing quite well. Uh, yeah, so uh, the first season he came, everyone was looking at him with, with, with awe, you know. Mm-hmm. The stories he was saying mm-hmm. about Real Madrid, about Mourinho. It was like, a, you know, we're training and then we had a sort of a sit around the fire with <laughs> the kids <laughs> telling us stories. Uh you got the, the respect of the players straight away and uh yeah that's why we was we started climbing uh, season after season until we got promoted mm. and in that promotion season you went
0: a run now i think this is right of 13 clean sheets in a row is it it was 10 10 clean sheets in a row yeah. which is just incredible like how does yeah. it you you've said before that like the clean sheet thing is a confidence. Like, you you go onto the pitch and you're convinced, like, it's going to be a clean sheet. By, like, game nine, are you starting to think, right, there's a record here, are you feeling the pressure? Or are you still like, no, clean sheet, all day, no problem?
2: No, yeah. The more you keep, you start thinking, you start listening from everyone, oh, the record's about to be broken, oh, it's going to break. And you, you start thinking, oh, just don't say it, you're going to jinx it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that was it, really, we... We equal the record, and the last minute of the game against Bristol uh, Bristol City, uh, mm. we just we conceded from the, the last kick of the game. Oh no! I can't
0: <laughs> I can't even tell you <laughs> how angry I, I
2: was. No, because we lost the game. no because we lost the record.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Well, that's an incredible yeah. run to be on. And one of the first questions, so when I ask my mates who support Borough, you can ask him me a question. What would it be? They said, how did it feel? Like, they remember the moment against Brighton when you caught the ball and they knew for certain that they were promoted. Like, you caught the ball <laughs> in the area, held it down, and Middlesbrough knew they were back in the Premier League. How did it feel to be part of that moment and to get this huge club back into the Premier League? Oh, it was such
2: a relief. It was a relief and a... I don't know, how say, ecstasy? You know, it's, it's, it's still mm-hmm. blaring. I see it from videos to see bits that I can't remember. Uh but uh it was it was fantastic. It was uh when I saw the ball in the air, I thought it would go, you know. And uh I just I just caught it. I didn't know the time because the, the clock stops at ninety minutes, so you don't mm-hmm. really know what minute of the injury time you are. But I, I got a bit of a s- sort of sense that it was nearly there because the whole ground celebrated like we scored a goal. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah. the goal. Yeah. The lads were patting me at the back. I saw about six of our lads with their hands up in the air. So I thought, <laughs> we, can't be we
0: might be there. We might be yeah. there. Yeah. And then I got up and I
2: was boy- eyeballing uh, Mike Dinh to see if he's going to blow the whistle. <laughs> and then obviously as soon as he did, it was just mental. The whole place erupted.
0: Because it's a town that really is, like, all about Middlesbrough, right? Did you feel yeah. that, like, the support there is really strong for that team?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the whole town sort of uh, first for football, first for the club to do well, mm-hmm. and they support the club uh, home and away. Uh, we had some trips, we had some go away games that you, you would think that you, you thought you were playing at home mm-hmm. with a noise. Uh, from the borough fans. Uh, they really took me in from the beginning and we have a special bond with the with the borough fans. Um but it's it's a town it's a it's a hard working town mm-hmm. and mm. who uh, the fans appreciate uh, every player that tries for the club. Mm. Yeah. Um mm. so yeah I think they that was one of the reasons that they they accepted me straight away
0: and if that was their highlight of your time at Middlesbrough what was your highlight of your time at Middlesbrough what game or what moment stands out for you as like yeah your
2: best time there
0: oh you can't be that game yeah
2: that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the game from the from the from the uh, sort of week leading up to it which the pressure was immense you could hear mm-hmm. in every every website or you could see in the news that it's a 250 million game are yeah. you thinking in the back of your head, please don't mess up here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the way to the last whistle the atmosphere was uh, was unbelievable you know if anything you, you want you wanted to to make it for for the fans you mm-hmm. know because they made that day unbelievable and uh of course the whole week after that that carried on was 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 brilliant
0: yeah yeah nice nice so you you get to the premier league middlesbrough get to the premier league and i think i'm going to try and ask this sensitively but like when Karanka took the team to the premier league he decided to make a lot of changes with the squad and i feel like ultimately that's kind of what people thought maybe didn't set middlesbrough Mm -hmm. up so well for the next season do you think Karanka could have had more faith in his team and like especially as he brought in Brad Guzan and Victor Valdez, right? How does it feel to have such a great season and then you see that the managers actually might be panicking and just bringing in lots of new players?
2: Yeah, as I said, yeah, they could have followed a better a better strategy, a better plan uh, from from successful teams getting promoted in the Premier League before. And like Bournemouth, like Burnley, they added slowly to their, their, their core of the players. Uh, I remember Bournemouth started from League 2 and carried on with the same players mm-hmm. the played in League 2, many of them were still in the Premier League. So, it showed that the, the, when, it, when a team uh, gets promoted, uh, a player can make that promotion as well uh, yeah. in, in quality. You know, mm-hmm. playing with better players, playing against better players, you know, the player becomes uh, better. So, yeah, I thought that would be a better choice, but... Listen, it was a decision that was made by, by the club, by the manager and, uh, you know, it was, it was a shame that it didn't end up well because our season wasn't successful and it was a shame that we, uh, a lot of the players that uh, we uh, obviously helped the team to get promoted didn't get a chance in the Premier League, but uh, that's, that's the nature of the
0: game and is that something that you've taken into your kind of potential coaching well your coaching and potential management uh, career now is that a lesson that you'll take with you that you can like trust players a little bit more like managers improve as they go up levels and so do players yeah
2: you have to believe in your players you know when when, when the players are doing well for you when the group of players uh, help you to help the club to get promoted at least they deserve is to get a chance mm-hmm. to show what they can mm-hmm. do in the division above. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you're going to want to add, you know, a bit more quality and a, bit, a few more players, but the ones who help you get there, they need, not not to guarantee them that they're going to play, but they need the chance to show if they can actually make it to the you know, the, the division mm-hmm. above. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, and I think in most cases, uh, they will uh, they will react to it. They will they will adapt, and they will help as well. Uh, and then slowly, you can build again and go for the next one. I think mm-hmm. that's you know that, that's the more uh, sensible approach than uh, you know again bringing another 15, 20 players mm-hmm. uh, in one transfer window. And we we'll see the example of. Uh, this example uh, again with uh are not reinforce the season yeah. it's insanity to, right it's they insanity brought 22 players and yeah they're expecting you know to perform it's even if they are top players, it's going to take them a while to mm. to jump together, so it's not it's not that easy, mm-hmm. But um, and before we kind of wrap up the interview, I
0: wanted to also talk to you about, you did get to, in, to um, represent your country as well uh, in a Euro 2012 qualifier game against Malta. How did that feel to pull on the national jersey and be officially the country's number one? How did that feel?
2: Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the highest honour, I think, for every player uh, to play for your country, to play in front of your countrymen. Uh, in a in an official game, mm-hmm. it was it was really great experience. Uh, I had obviously some more some other friendly games and stuff, that I was involved. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought I thought I could still help the national team when I was playing for Millersburg because I was in a good condition. Mm-hmm. But everyone that asked me then uh, it was the same answer that all I can do is you know perform for my team and you know. Hopefully the manager of the national team you know, picks me. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't really affect that if you, can, if you start thinking about it too much. Mm-hmm. You're just uh, taking the focus of your, the
0: games for your, for your team. And you were managed by Fernando Santos, right? Who would go on to win the Euros with, uh, with Portugal. Did he seem like a kind of visionary? How was it to be coached by Santos? I think now it feels like he's kind of not changed in a while. How was it to, co- to work under him?
2: He was a clever man. He didn't smile much. Uh, <laughs> he was very clever. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a, he was a perfectionist. He, he demanded things to be done the way he wants to. Um, and uh, I think that that sort of was rubbing into the players. Uh, we demanded to, you know, the best from each other. He had a he had a weird. Uh, um, I don't know, dislike for for butter for some reason. I remember okay, why he right? to, We're playing in Austria with breakfast. I asked for butter and then he got up. He, he took the butter and he gave it back to the waiter and he told him to, to go. I was okay. a bit shocked. Like, what did I do?
0: Please? You didn't like that? Please? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Okay, nice. Well, Dimi, we're going to kind of finish up with a few questions that we kind of ask all our guests. And So, the first one is, um, what? Uh, no, who is the best player that you played
2: with? With? Um, I played with a lot of good players. I'd say Enrico Johnson. Uh, you could see his quality from playing for Barcelona and Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alvaro Negredo. Oh, wow, nice. um, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Traor. Uh, Adama Traore, mm.
3: yeah,
2: really good player. Yeah, many others. You know, uh, I was I was lucky to to have good teammates in my in my career. Were you still throwing yes. yourself into dives when
0: Adama Traore is running at your full pelt?
2: <laughs> I don't know if I was. <laughs> oh, I was uh, I was uh, I was having a bit of a banter with him every day. T- every day, I was telling him. I was nudging him with the shoulder. I was telling him I I can beat you, man. (laughs) (laughs) I kept telling him you're um, in the wrong sport, pal. I said you should. (laughs) Yeah, well, definitely. (laughs) Um,
0: No, so the next one is who is the best player that you played against?
2: Against? uh, Again, there's many, many good players I played against. Uh, playing against uh, Saul Campbell and uh, um, Peter Crouch. Nice. Uh, they were at Portsmouth when we were, uh, I was at Swansea. Mm-hmm. We played in oh, uh, the cup against them. Portsmouth back then where on fire. the four oh, uh, Crouch, uh, Saul Campbell, David James uh, and we managed to beat them as well. Nice. I <laughs> had a great game. Yeah, some of the names that I played against but yeah, there are many but you know, I could, I could sit here and just keep, keep saying names.
0: Nice, nice. Okay, next one is the best atmosphere you played in or the best stadium you played in.
2: Um, atmosphere-wise, definitely the game against Brighton, you know, mm-hmm. because it was a, a home game and it was, you know, the the the, the whole ground was, was bouncing, literally, mm-hmm. with excitement. Uh, also, I enjoyed the... The Wembley game against okay. Norwich, the atmosphere was quite good. You know, we had about 40,000 uh, mm-hmm. uh, Borough supporters, 40,000 Norwich supporters. So, the, you know, the atmosphere was quite good. Obviously, the game wasn't as,
3: mm-hmm.
0: as, uh,
2: as good as we hoped. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the occasion.
0: Nice. Okay. And the best manager you played under, or the, the manager that had the biggest impact on your career? Let's not say best maybe people get
2: upset? Uh, again, I can't pinpoint one because I took uh, little things from, from everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can't, the, the perfect manager doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from point of who oh, helped me the most, obviously, um, Karanka gave me a chance to uh, get back into championship football mm-hmm. uh, and he trusted me. Um, but you know, every manager is, 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 is pros and cons, uh, and, cons. and uh, I think while you play, if you if you try to study it and take some of it um, and analyze it according to how you 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 like to coach, I think that helps, and that's what I did, and obviously that, that helped me a lot. I was lucky to to have good managers in my career.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, it's just two more. So. Um, The best save of your career or a save that
2: kind of stands out for you the most? I would say against Leeds, uh, away uh, from a header. Mm. Uh, We we drew a nil-nil. And I just, you know, it was a header from uh, from a free kick just outside the six-yard box. And like all the Leeds players, they had their hands up in the air. The guy who headed was running to the stand to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And I somehow I clawed it out uh, and, and around the post. And yeah. I, I still to this day, I can't remember how I did it. I, did it. I was going to say, I was just about to ask, is that like
0: sheer reflex? And you're like, whoa, wait, did I just do that? Or is it like a conscious decision? Like, how does that feel to do You that? go
2: for them sometimes you go for the ball, not mm-hmm. really expecting much, but, you know, you get a fingertip and that uh, makes it a fantastic save. That's why... Uh, uh, I keep saying the goalkeepers just don't let not don't, uh, uh, don't let go of any 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 shot. You know, mm-hmm. try to get there. You might think you, you you're not gonna, but but so, sometimes you're gonna get a fingertip on. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a brilliant save. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. And the last question: What's the funniest thing? or a, a thing that sticks in your mind that you've heard a football fan shout at you or at someone else in the stadium? The funniest thing?
2: Oh, I don't know. There was, uh, was a lot of banter, you know, when, when, when I was playing. Because
0: uh, you're a goalkeeper, you must hear it all, right? You've got yeah. 90 minutes of the fans behind you. like.
2: Oh, yeah, the smaller the or the, the, the lower the division, the more you can hear, obviously, yeah. as you go higher... There's a lot of <laughs> noise. But I had, a, I had a lot of, you know, when I started playing and my, my first season, uh, at the back of my shirt wasn't Dimi, it was my last name, it was Constantopoulos. <laughs> <in Massachusetts, starting laughs> from here, and then on the other end, oh, I could hear some <laughs> some jokes behind the goal. you know, People trying to pronounce it, choking, you know. <laughs> nice. nice. Some people no, think I uh, thought I was Chinese.
0: <laughs> perfect well dimmy thank you it's been a great chat i've really really enjoyed it um adam anything to say before we before we wrap it up
3: just to say i never thought i'd ever interview chewbacca that's a childhood dream right i've lived oh, it so... but we dimmy, dimmy absolute pleasure it's, i've been fascinated by your career so I, I thank you for bringing that
2: not stuck with me so long that I, I had to learn to do the impression as well oh let's go <laughs> oh god. on <laughs> oh, that's
0: pretty good I like that that's
2: good <laughs> and when I was when I was a middle's bro they, they used to they used to call me Dave okay right <laughs> it, was, it was it was bizarre Sue Downing gave me the name Dave because I look like Dave from Hollywood okay right and uh, it just stuck so much that in the game like George Friend was shouting, Dave, for me to pass the ball. I would go on the, on the I would walk on the street and hear Dave and start turning. It was, it was strange. And it was an incident with a doctor as well in uh, Millersboro. A cardiologist was doing our tests and he had no idea from football. Um, so George Friend was before me and I go in and he went, goes to me, All right, Dave. So I go sit down and, and the doctor starts saying to me, uh, can you take a deep breath, Dave? Can you uh, can you turn around, Dave? He said it so many times, but by that time it was too late to correct him. So I just... It's it too awkward, right? It's too awkward. <laughs> yeah.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Dimmy. I have really, really enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, like, best of luck with your coaching and managing career. Um, we will definitely be keeping an eye out on the group Greek, Greek Super League now, and we'll be keeping an eye on your results. So, thank you very much, Demi. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, boys. Okay,
2: guys. Well,
0: for the end of the show, I really, really hope you enjoyed that interview. I found it absolutely fascinating, but I do have to say, I'm riding solo here, so to speak. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to see the show out on my own. So I apologize if this is a little bit rusty because I'm talking to myself. But here we go. Um, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed the interview. I found some of the stories absolutely fascinating. His time at AEK Athens sounded absolutely mental. It was great to hear about how much he loves the northeast of England. He loves Middlesbrough, loves Hartlepool, and just a really, really fascinating, interesting guy. So once again, thank you, Dimi. Thanks for coming on the show. You are always Welcome back. So to see you out, guys, it's kind of a weekend preview. Let's just do it, right? Uh, so the Premier League matches we have coming up this weekend, We it all kicks off with the 70s tie that is Nottingham Forest taking on Liverpool at half past one on Saturday. Liverpool bang back in form. Nottingham Forest definitely not in form. This feels like it could be an absolute butchering. But you never know. The atmosphere at the city ground could Make a big difference, I don't think it will. Anyway, next we have Liverpool's cross city rivals, Everton taking on Crystal Palace. Everton definitely struggling, lost their last three games. That's not easy to say. Um, definitely not informed Palace, as we said in their last three, two wins and a draw looking a bit better. Can Patrick Vieira get a win at Everton? Of course, this last game was the game, this game last year was when Everton. Confirmed their survival, and there was that video of Patrick Vieira that went viral. So I'm pretty sure Patrick Vieira will have revenge on the mind for the Toffees. Also on the Saturday, we have Manchester City taking on Brighton. Deserve be massively needs a win, hugely needs a win. Brighton, the XG gods are angry at them again. They cannot get a goal. I don't really fancy them to get it here. But who knows? City, fresh off a loss against Liverpool, maybe they could be in trouble. Then on Saturday, the late kickoff, the big game, is Chelsea against Manchester United. Now this game, on headline, looks like it's a great game. Like, oh, it's going to be banging, right? Well, the last four games, it's been 1-1, 1-1, 0-0-0-0. I think this is the most boring game in the Premier League over the last couple of years. I'm going to say it. It's just always a terrible game. Hopefully, they surprise us. Chelsea looking better under Graham Potter. A disappointing performance against Brentford midweek. Arguably could have lost that game. So they're going to be looking to get the three points at home. But with Man United looking better, like we've said, it could not be certain. Then on Sunday, we have a relegation battle, a Midlands battle. We have Wolves hosting Leicester City. Two teams who are very, very low on confidence. Leicester, one win in the last three. Wolves, one win in the last five. Leicester, one win in the last five. Um, two teams in terrible form. Maybe a game to give a miss. At the same time on Sunday, we have Aston Villa taking on Brentford. Stephen Gerrard under massive, massive pressure. This is an opportunity for him to get some points on the board. Brentford looking great against Chelsea. I fancy them to get some it there. We have Southampton hosting Arsenal. Southampton finally got a win. Arsenal need to continue this run of form. Come on, boys. Just come on. Then we have Leeds United taking on Fulham. Great game there. Leeds were unbelievable against Arsenal. Definitely should have won the game. They'll be looking to continue that form against Fulham. I reckon they can do them there. And then the most interesting game on Sunday, late kickoff on Sunday, Tottenham against Newcastle. We talked about Tottenham's lack of attacking intent. What worries me here as an Arsenal fan is that I don't know if Newcastle are switched on enough to avoid the Spurs counter-attack, especially at the Spurs stadium. I feel like Tottenham could get back to winning ways here. Then on Monday night, we've last game of the weekend, we have West Ham taking on Bournemouth. West Ham missed their last two penalties now. Could have got a draw against Liverpool, but I think... Bournemouth fresh off that first win, they're going to have to get their heads up, their first loss, sorry, going to to have to get their heads up and make sure to put up a fight against the Happy Hammers. Now, it's Serie A time, guys. My voice is running out here. I really hope it feels okay, sounds okay. The weekend kicks off. Tonight, as you are listening, Juventus taking on Empoli, This game last year, Empoli won 1-0. Empoli are definitely going to be looking for a repeat performance. Juventus starting to get back into form, maybe. They should really be seeing this one out. On Saturday, we have Salernitana taking on Spezia. Milan against Monza, Belasconi against his old team. Is he going to be in the stadium or is he going to be too busy writing love letters to Putin? Only time will tell. The late game on Saturday is Fiorentina against Inter. Fiorentina... Smashing goals in in the conference league cannot score for love no money in Serie A into back in form. They're going to be looking to get a win here. I think Fiorentina can put up a fight. I think. Then on Sunday, we have Udinese against Torino. Udinese still flying high, still technically in the title race. Torino, you never know what you're going to get with them. That is at 12 30 on Sunday. We have Bologna taking on Lecce and then. The big games arrive. It's all about Sunday in Italy, as it often is. We have Atalanta taking on Lazio. Last year, they drew both games. Now, this game has the two tightest defenses in the league. Atalanta have conceded six. Lazio have conceded five. So it might not be a goal fest, but both of these teams also have One of the most lethal attacks in the league. So this could go either way. I feel like this is going to be a really, really entertaining game. Really hope Atalanta gets something there. Sorry, Lazio fans. Then the late kickoff on Sunday, Roma versus Napoli. Mourinho versus Spalletti. Spalletone, as Mourinho called him. This is going to be exciting, attacking, free-flowing football against Mourinho. So you all know which way this is going to go, but Napoli in such incredible form that it's going to be a tough night for Roma. It's going to be a tough night for Roma, but that is a game you cannot miss. Then the weekend ends on Monday. You know, Cremonese taking on Sampdoria in a huge relegation battle. Huge, huge game there. Sampdoria desperately need to get some points. This is the opportunity for Cremonese to get their first win of the season. They're still looking for their first win. They have to get the points here. And then it all finishes on Monday with Sassuolo versus Verona. Two of the pod's favorite teams. Likely exciting attacking football. Could be a bit of a goal fest there. So, guys, I'm sorry. My voice is killing me. I'm going to have to go. But, of course, I've got the quote for you that I'm going to send you off with. But first, please remember to follow us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, hit subscribe, like if you're watching on YouTube, tell a friend, do all those good things to help the pod grow. Let's do it. So before we go, guys, well, this is it. I'm going to give you the end of show quote, which could only be from one man. It is, of course, from Antonio Conte during the Spurs United game where he screamed at Bentoncourt, Pasa la pala testa di cazzo. Guys, you can translate it Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday.